I didn't want to move to Michigan, but Courtney was here. So I, that was a gift. Jeff and Courtney actually were two of the very first friends we made when we got to Michigan, and that has been worth the move. Just what a treasure. So it is my joy and privilege to stand up here tonight and challenge you to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word um, in the realm of teacher training. So I kind of wanted to take a survey first and see where you're at. I love looking out at this group of women and seeing faces. I have no idea who you are, all these new friends I get to meet. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What experiences do you have with teacher training? Have you done any in your local churches? Have you ever been trained to teach? Any ex- any experience? Anybody want to brave the room? There's really not that many of you here. It's okay. You can talk. Not a whole lot. Raise your hand if you've had and you've had some kind of teacher training in your local church or outside of your local church. In the local church? Excellent. Excellent. That's really great. Um, do any of you do any teacher training? Do any of you have any? Do any of you have any means by which you train teachers in your own ministries? Yay! Okay, this is this is wonderful because I've been praying that God will send you out from here as training teachers, and that we'll have many women trained to teach. Um. So we're going to come back to questions at the end, but I kind of want to know up front if there are any specific questions about teacher training that you guys have. Does anybody have anything that you would just want to know right off the bat? And we'll, if I don't answer them in my talk, then we can come back to them in the end. Any questions? Any of you ever wanted to have any teacher training and thought, how do I get this? How do I do this? Yes, good. Phew, there's a few of you. (laughs) Otherwise, the rest of you are just enduring this session because you got a letter A on your thing. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Okay, well, we'll come back. Think of any questions you have. Make notes as we go along. I kind of want to just give you a structure and a framework of what I feel is a vision for teacher training, Um, certainly a burden that God has placed on my heart, and cast that out to you, and then we can talk a little bit more at the end. I think we have about an hour, right, Courtney? Yes? Jeff, you're, Jeff's here. Yay. Okay, so I went to a Simeon Trust workshop many years ago now. Well, true confessions. Dave Helm, who started the Simeon Trust, along with Kent Hughes, was my singles pastor. And years ago, training sessions, he'd gone to a place called Proc Trust, which is an organization in England for a sabbatical, and he came back all fired up and excited about teacher training and came back, and he did a couple sessions for men, and then he decided he wanted to do a few a session for women and see how this went. And so there were five of us that he held, he had, got these little teacher training sessions. We were in this tiny little office, and you could barely fit five chairs around his little desk in the office at College Church, and he gave us these passages, and we had to prepare them and come back and present to him what we were going to teach. And so I got Romans chapter 1. So I come back with my little outline of how I would teach Romans chapter 1. I thought it was great. I normally think God I do is great. That's a problem. Dave Helm recognized that. And he tells me right off the bat, well, you missed the point of the text. Ouch. But it started in me a deep hunger to realize that there is a point to the text. 
and it's not whatever you want it to be. But that God had a message that he was communicating through that text. And it's very, very important if we're going to claim to be teachers of the Bible that we don't teach what we want to out of that text, but that we teach what that text says. And there's a point to it. And we need to use every tool we have to understand what it is and just communicate that message. So through the years as I have started ministry in my very early 20s, with that vision and that foundation, God has continued to build on that and, bur- and deepened the burden in my own heart for women to teach women God's word. And I want to give you a bit of a rationale for that because maybe you're thinking this isn't, this isn't a thing that women are supposed to be doing, and I'd like to distill that myth. Um, and I want to start with the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus is standing there on the mountain about to ascend to heaven. He has accomplished the death and the atonement for our sin. He has accomplished the, the power of the resurrection. And he leaves his, his people with this amazing commission by saying all power had been given to him and therefore he could commission people to do what he wanted them to do. Not that it had ever been debated that all power was his, but here because of the resurrection he has indeed been given all power. And he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You've probably heard that text quoted at every missions conference you've ever been at, and the emphasis has been on the go. Right? And no one has ever told you only men are to go. Right? You ever once heard that? Nope. Every single person, every little child from Sunday school on, you're told to go. But what is it that you're told to go and do? You are told to go and make disciples by teaching. So, ladies, if we do not take that command seriously, we are failing in our role of fulfilling the Great Commission because we must know God's word and teach all that he has commanded us. So the call to teach comes right directly from our Savior out of a call to be his disciple. It's not just for elders. It's not just for men. And the Great Commission is not just for evangelism. But this is the way that God intended to build his church. So as we think about what then do we teach and how do we move forward with that, there's a verse that really that strikes me consistently. Um, we've, we've referenced Timothy a lot tonight, and we'll continue to reference Timothy because very, inst- very specific teaching instructions Paul gave to Timothy, and I think they're very helpful for us. One of those comes in chapter 4, verse, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 when he's called to have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. I'm going to step on some toes. But, ladies, there are some silly myths that we buy into a lot. And one of those silly myths is that motherhood is your highest calling. Another one of those silly myths is that marriage is your highest calling. And another silly myth is that ministry is for men. 
Because if we keep reading into the book of Titus, we come to a passage that Cindy's going to work with us in detail on tomorrow, and I'm super excited about that. But there we find a very specific call to women to teach women. So we know that women are to be teaching. We also, if we look back into Timothy, we see that it was Timothy's mother and grandmother who imparted to him the Holy Scriptures that he's known from infancy. So here I think we see two very definitive calling that God has given to the women, and that is that women are to be teaching women, and women are to be teaching children. We have a tendency to think that, well, women can't teach men. Women are supposed to be silent in church. And we look at this as a prohibition, as if God is limiting us from what we can do. He's holding us back. But ladies, I would love to challenge that idea because it is not a prohibition, but rather a preservation that God is giving. Because you see, he values women tremendously. If you look through the Gospels and you see the power of women's ministry in the life of Jesus Christ, it is amazing. It was to women first that the message of the resurrection came. Women were the very first witnesses to Jesus Christ. The work of women in the local church is the helpmate role, the complementary role to that of men. And God has preserved for himself a group of teachers to teach those who will have the greatest impact on the future generations. It is not a prohibition that you cannot preach from the pulpit on Sunday morning and preach all of men. It is a preservation of your teaching gifts and your skills to a very special and unique group within the church that God has uniquely equipped you to minister to. And so I would love to have the attitude and the mindset of those of us in complementarian churches begin to change to say, no, we are forbidden from teaching men. No, we are preserved for teaching women. I heard a story one time about a man who built, had a garden, and he put a fence around his garden. And it wasn't because he hated rabbits. It was because he loved the lettuce, and he wanted to grow the carrots. He didn't have something against that, but he was preserving. He was keeping something, and so he built that fence around. And I think God puts this fence around us because he's growing something very special. And the call to teach women is a very significant call. So if the calling, these myths are not our highest calling, motherhood and marriage, but rather this ministry is what God has called us to, on what basis do we build that? Ladies, I'd like you to turn with me to chapter um, 3 of Ephesians. In the beginning of chapter 4, I'll just skip ahead here, you get this verse that's all very familiar to us. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, so there is a calling It is given to us in scripture, and we are called to walk worthy of it. But I wonder what that calling is. If we back up just a few verses into chapter 3, we have this amazing, amazing text. Listen as I read this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here's the purpose. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is your highest calling. This is the message that you are given to give to the women that God calls you to teach. Strength to comprehend, knowledge to know, to know the love of Christ. This is the message that we are given. This is the calling that we have. This is what we are to walk worthy of as we would seek to teach others. He goes right on from this passage in chapter 4. You get to 11, verse 11, and he is talking about the gifts that are given to the church. Now, nowhere in here, in case you wonder if I'm skipping something, there's no distinction between men and women in this passage. Okay? It's not here. As a matter of fact, it's explicit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and in all and through, through all and in all. Grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ. In verse 11, he gave some apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And it goes on with more glorious truth. But I think, I hope you understand what I'm getting at. And that is that as women, we must be communicating, we must be teaching these truths in order to equip the saints in our congregation for the work of ministry. Now, this text is very helpful, too, because it does demonstrate that all of us are not called to teach, not in the way that we all stand up and teach, right? But we are called to be taught by women, right? And we are called to be supportive and to learn and to be equipped by the teachers in our congregation who are gifted this way to do this. So this preeminence of Christ, this great commission call, this mission and ministry that we are given, we are to do so with all the energy that powerfully works within us, Paul tells us in Colossians. Right? He says Christ is preeminent over all things, and he gives us the power. That's Colossians chapter 2. We strive. I love the Apostle Paul says in verse 29, end of chapter 1, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we must teach. We can't teach in our own strength. But we do teach with his power that he powerfully works within us in order to equip the saints and to fulfill the Great Commission so that many people might come to know him. So if that's true, then how do we get there? How do we do it? How do we train teachers to teach? There's some things we have to say no to in order to do this. You understand this probably with your kids, that there are things you have to say no to that are way more convenient 
than what's really good for them, right? It's really easy to let them sit and watch one more video because it helps you get something done, right? Rather than sitting down and reading a story with them or even putting up with the whining and complaining and having them read their own story. I think teacher training and the commitment of women in local church ministry in many ways is similar to that. There's a lot of really easy things that we have to be courageous enough to say no to in order to say yes to teacher training and to equipping our women. And one of those things is videos. There are some great videos out there. I don't want to diss all videos. But I do want to put a challenge out there that you not build your women's ministry program on videos. You are you're handicapping yourself in a major way. You're getting immediate good food. I mean, there are some great teachers available on video. And you can get really good feeding from them. But it's very limited. You can't go to lunch with the video. There's no one in your congregation that is deeply studying the word in order to teach through whom every conversation she has that oozes out of her if you're dependent on the primary teacher in your church being a video. The next generation is very limited because they might not like the way the lady on your video dresses, right? I have a friend that used to watch videos a lot, and she said every week we had to stop the video. She start, you stop the video, and you had to talk about the speaker's clothing. Have a conversation about the clothing, get that off the table, and now we can go ahead and watch the rest of the video, right? You don't do that with people that you know, right? You don't, don't stop, stop, okay, check out my outfit today. We don't do that. We do that with videos. But anyway, I digress. Those are the distractions that videos can bring to you, but they short sell the generational impact of older women teaching younger women. You're not actually building human relationship where you're transferring the love of the scriptures and the work of teaching into the next generation. So um, we have to say no to those things in order to say yes to the scripture and the work that it takes to study the scripture, right? Susan didn't just throw that talk together tonight. What Cindy's going to share with you tomorrow wasn't just thrown together. It comes not only out of deep study and preparation to teach this weekend, but a lifetime of preparation that's been overflowing time and time again because they've been committed to God's word. So when we say that the scripture is sufficient for teacher training, which is the title of this talk, um, that's kind of a weird thing to say, right? Because there's no teacher's manual that comes with this book. So how is it that the scripture is sufficient to train you as a teacher? First of all, I would say that the Holy Spirit dwells within you and illumines the word. So the teacher is not you anyway, right? The Holy Spirit teaches his word and enlivens his word through you. So you become a vessel through which this word is poured in. But he does that in, in a multitude of different ways. He does it as you read and read and reread the text. But what I don't want you to hear me say and this is because this is part of my story in, a, in kind of a full circle that God has brought me through, that you read the scripture in lieu of everything else that's out there. You only read the Bible. You don't talk to anybody about it. You only read the Bible. You don't ever read anything else. You don't ever learn from anything else. Um, 
this is, it, it's exciting when you begin to see Christ as preeminent over all things. And when that's the overriding principle by which you approach the scriptures and you understand, just like Susan shared with us tonight, Christ is preeminent over all of this. He is preeminent over all the scripture. It's all about him. But ladies, he's preeminent over everything else too. He's the creator of the universe. There isn't a bit of history that you can study that over which he is not preeminent. And when you bring all of those things that you can study under the lordship and the preeminence of Jesus Christ, they will begin to enhance your understanding as a teacher of God's word. Grammar and language are gifts from him. He is the creator of them. We are simply the discoverers of them. No mastermind engineer one day sat down and said, well, let's create a sentence and put in it a subject and a verb. It didn't happen that way. Human authors and grammarians looked at the language that people were speaking and said what is common about it, and they codified it and they wrote it down, but they didn't create it. No mathematician invented 2 plus 2 equals 4. Right? All he did was look around and realize every time I have two of this and two of this, then I have four of something. And he wrote it down because that was all, that's all under the preeminence of Christ. Our creator did all of that. So as you study, you you hit a metaphor in scripture and you hear something about a, a fat of rams. And you say, what is that? And you begin to look at what kind of fat is on a ram? And you begin to study creation and science and realize this fat on a ram when it's burned creates this really amazing fragrance. And you begin to understand all these things. Christ is preeminent over all of that. He created it to do that, right? And you begin to stand in awe and wonder of those things. And as a teacher, then, you can you can share that with the ladies that you are teaching, and they, too, begin to be more excited and see the greatness of the God that reveals himself to us in both his creation and in scripture. So don't be afraid of those other things. All the things you learn as you bring them under the preeminence of Christ will enhance your skills and your ability as a teacher. So that's the basis on which I would challenge you to teach. But now you're saying, yeah, okay, so how? How do we go about doing that? There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. And I want to give you four principles, because Susan used four, so I'm going to use four too. Four principles that I think as you consider any way that you're doing teacher training that you, you need to consider or they should be a part of your thinking process. We could program everything. Right? Simeon Trust has a done a phenomenal job with a program of teacher training. You, you're going to get sick of hearing about that this weekend. Um, because they, they have a program that actually is very easily repeatable in your own local church. So, but, but it's not all about a program. But there are principles that need to underlie, I believe, our teacher training. One of them is, and this is why I've spent so much time in the beginning of this on laying this foundation, is that you need to be intentional about it. Um, There's a ministry uh, here in town, not in this town, in a town somewhere in the Detroit metro area, a Bible teacher that I met a few years ago, powerful, godly woman who had taught the scriptures to this grand group of ladies for a long time. 
She started 15 years ago, I think, I think this is the story, 15 years ago teaching the scriptures verse by verse by verse. Started with Genesis. Just working her way through the Bible. I heard her I, a couple years ago. I heard her teach. She was in 1 Corinthians. She'd made it to 1 Corinthians in 15 years. And she just worked through every verse all the way through. It was beautiful. And then I spent a day with her, sat down with, um, with a friend and, and spent a day with her. And my question to her was, what have you done to train your replacement? She was 88 years old at the time. And within a year after that, um, dementia struck and she's no longer teaching. And that entire ministry has fallen apart. Because there were no replacements. As powerful of a teacher as she was, and as great of a ministry as she had, there is no replacement for her. And, and I don't want to be that person. And I don't think we need, we, we don't want that in our churches. Our, this women's ministry is not our ministry. This is why Titus, I think, was given such specific instructions. These older women are to train the younger women. Because you're going to die. But this body, this church is going to continue. So we have to be intentional about training women, not just teaching women. So my first point would be that it needs to be intentional. The second point is that it needs to be progressive. And by that, I mean this amazing little verse that Paul again speaks to Timothy in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. No one of us starts out as a grand, great Bible teacher. The Holy Spirit is a grand, great Bible teacher. He works through this broken vessel that, through whom Simeon or uh, Charles Spurgeon came to Christ, right? The Holy Spirit does that, which is awesome, <laughs> But these human vessels can make progress in our teaching. Um, and I think it's a beautiful way to start a women's teacher's training ministry to understand none of us are perfect, none of us are really grand, and the goal is to get here and come together and make progress and let it be visible. Right. So as you start with a vision of how to teach teachers to teach in your women's ministry, Think about that. Keep that in mind. You have to be intentional about it, but you need to understand it is going to be progressive. You're going to get a little better, and you're going to get a little better, and you're going to get a little better. At Berean, we've uh, worked through several different iterations of what we call our Priscilla program, obviously named after Priscilla and Aquila, who um, we don't we don't have an Aquila program though. I'm just telling you. Men are behind the eight ball here. There's no Aquila program going on. But we have a Priscilla program. Um, so we've, we'd started on Saturday mornings for a while, and we would just meet once a month on a Saturday morning, and we'd go through some different principles of teacher training. And that kind of got a little laborious because you'd start the beginning of the year, you'd think your Saturday mornings are going to be free in the fall, and then by springtime, way too many complications happen on Saturday mornings. So it, they were sort of successful. Um, in the last two years, we've actually switched to a really intensive program that's a whole lot more work. And ladies, don't be afraid of hard work. I am telling you, it makes it worth doing. This is what I've decided. 
the harder the work is, the more value people put in it, and the more they, they come and do it. So now we do, twice a year, a workshop. For, we, start, we have a fall Bible study and a spring Bible study. And so this fall we did, we're doing Deuteronomy. And so we published the you know, information that we're going to have a workshop, teacher training workshop. If you're interested in teaching children, if you're just interested in learning how to study more deeply, if you're interested in teaching in our women's Bible study, come and participate in this program. We'll give you your homework ahead of time. And we basically run our own little Simeon Trust our Simeon Trust workshop. And you come, you, you get an assigned text, and you do, do all the work of the text, and you do this. It is amazing, this, this joy, because Simeon Trust is great and all, but those are women that you don't get to see every week. These are women, 25, we're having, our, our little church is only 500 people, and we are having 20 to 25 women give up three days in a row all evening Thursday, all evening Friday, and all day Saturday to study one book of the Bible and do all kinds of homework ahead of time in order to do it and come and study together. And we spend this time feasting around God's word. And it is, it is rich and it is beautiful. And, it, and we chomp at the bit for when the next one's coming because those weekends are so grand. So don't be afraid to challenge your women to really, really hard work. Um, because they, they will, shockingly, rise to the challenge and find that the harder the work, the more worth it it is, and the more excited they are to do it. So, um, which gives me my third point. My husband told me not to use this word, and he's sitting back there, and so he's going to know that I'm going to use it anyway, but I don't know. I'm, well, he told me to define it first. So let me define this first, then I'm going to use the word. How am I doing, Brad? He's laughing at me. He's never heard me teach before. I've never, ever taught with Brad sitting in the room, so this is a first for me. Um. So if you work together and you recognize that everybody in the room is working on this process, there's a collegial, there's the word, nature to what you're doing. And it's not that there's an authority. This person has all the knowledge and all the information because we are all together submitting to the text and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And as you... As you think about putting together a teacher training program in your own church or working with women to teach, I cannot encourage you enough to cultivate this kind of a relationship among your women that will help you sharpen each other. Very different than after you teach having someone review you. And let me explain why. Because after you've taught, this is the problem Brad's going to have. He's, I'm going to go home and say, okay, so give me some review. Give me some feedback, right? And he's going to have a really hard time doing that because it's done, right? I can't change it. When I blow it, I can't come back to you and say tomorrow, oh, I'm so sorry. I screwed that up. I should have said it this way. So it's, it's limiting in its helpfulness. But when you talk about it before you teach it, when you discuss the scripture together, you get this amazing working of the body that happens. Different people from different perspectives with different gifts see things in different ways and can really help you put together a message, especially in ways, well, I mean, understanding the text for sure, because they can, wait a minute, that's not the verb of that sentence. I don't think that's the point. What what do you do with this if that's your point, right? You can have those conversations, and you're all still in that working mode, and it's really wonderful. But then when it comes to application and the way that you're going to minister it like the oil of the word massaged into the souls of the women that you're teaching, your, your fellow teachers 
are going to be from very different walks of life than you. And they're going to say, you know what? If you said that, I would be very offended. That would hurt me. Or another way, and and obviously you don't say that about the text, right? This is what God's word says. Whether it's offensive or not, it's God's word. But how we present it does matter. And certainly the applications that we would make, um, they're really, really helpful to think about your audience and who's going to be in the room as you're talking, as you're, you're working on the text. If you're involved in children's ministry, we, we have done another, I think, of poor service to our churches in that we often have our um, newest believers teaching our children's ministry. Oh, here, yeah, go teach a Sunday school class. Ladies, if you've done the work of studying the text and you deeply understand what is happening in this text, you understand that the hardest work in the world is to communicate the glory of that message to a two-year-old or a three-year-old, right? The skill set that it takes to be able to do that is extraordinary. And the understanding that you need to have of God's word is extraordinary. And those little people, they have no discernment. They have no way of knowing if what you're telling them is right or not. It is a dangerous thing to be a teacher of children. So if you're in a position where you can teach children and you have an opportunity to work with other teachers and get feedback on your own understanding of the text, don't trust your Sunday school curriculums. They're flawed written by humans. The text of Scripture is the only thing we can trust. It is what is inerrant. We must get our lessons out of the text. But we talk about those with one another. We share that with one another. And we can then minister more faithfully and more carefully to the children that God has called us to to speak to than we can if we just, you know, throw a throw a lesson together that's going to be fun and happy and our you know fifth grade girls are going to think that's great and you entertained me for a half an hour then they're going to think god's word is all about entertaining me and they're going to grow up and be bored in big people's church right because somebody entertained me my whole life of sunday school when the word of god is so beautiful and rich and glorious that if you could whet their appetites to know it in fifth grade the hunger is just going to grow and grow and grow as they as they mature so include your Sunday school teachers in any kind of teacher training that you do. So intentional, progressive, collegial. And the fourth one is the hardest one, but it's that it's continual. Um, I think it was Thomas Chalmers, who was a Scottish preacher back in the late 1700s, who said, we, We short sell what God can do in five to ten years, and we get discouraged. But we do not even consider what he might do in 50 years. And our vision is often short when we are doing teacher training. Um, I think Cindy's going to tell you some stories tomorrow about the ministry of College Church and their women's ministry that's about 50 years old now. And the things that God has done through that ministry in 50 years are going to blow your mind. But we get really, really discouraged in one year or two years or three years. When I came to Berean 15 years ago, I was pretty discouraged. I'd left a pretty rich ministry in Colorado Springs where we moved from. Pretty rich women's work going on there and great teaching of God's word. And Berean, well, they didn't have much. 
then. And it was discouraging. First year, we tried to start a women's Bible study. Twelve people come. Two people finish. Third year, fourth year, not much changing. It was it was discouraging. We tried all kinds of different things, different ways to get went. It was hard. Fifteen years later, we have 25 women coming out to teacher training. We have 60 women coming on a Wednesday night for study of Deuteronomy. God does sweet things in his time and not ours. And we're so tempted to give up. So, ladies, it must be continual. It's generation upon generation upon generation. So don't get tired in four years when you don't see fruit from your ministry. Because the glorious thing is that Jesus Christ said to his disciples on that night when he was going to the cross, he said to them, I have called you as my disciples. Go and bring forth fruit, and that fruit will remain. We are not the judge of it. We're not qualified to judge it. But we can be assured that as Jesus Christ has called us and the Holy Spirit equips us to do nothing but illumine Jesus through us, that he will bring forth fruit and that fruit will remain. So when he tells you to go, go ye therefore into all the nations, make disciples, teaching them all the things I have commanded you to do. This is the calling that he has given to us. And he has preserved women to teach women that very message. So I hope you're excited. I hope you're ready to go teach women. Um, But any questions? That's what I wanted to share with you. And then um, just wanted to see if there's any questions you have about practical things or um, even foundational vision things.